I'm here with Ishvar Dusko, a diversity specialist at SNAP, who worked for LinkedIn for almost five years and is also the author of Get Ish Done, a self-development book for the overlooked and underrepresented people in society. Ish is also a DJ and a big advocate for more Latinos in tech and L&D. He's also a clever hybrid. Ish, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super stoked and ready to dive in. Yeah, this is going to be good. So looking at your material, you mentioned four audience personas in one of your LinkedIn articles. Who do you feel are those overlooked and underrepresented people? Yeah, that's a really great question. You did your homework. <laughs> I guess it, we got to take a couple of steps back. The reason why I wrote the book is because I went down this journey of learning a ton over the past couple of years. And growing up, I was never the smart kid. So the past couple of years, I, I flipped my life around and, and went down this learning path. While learning through all these different mediums, I, I noticed that the learning and development and self-help industry was not very diverse. Out of the 45 books that I read in 2019, three of them were written by people of color and zero were written by Latino men. So that, that was pretty disheartening going through this amazing personal journey of learning and growing and taking a step back and realizing that my people weren't represented in the level of people that I was learning from. When I came up with the idea of writing a book and, and summarizing all of my findings and everything that I had learned, it was important for me to speak to that audience of basically myself and my friends and my family. What I did is I developed four audience personas. I'm a big marketer. I believe you have to know your audience before marketing the product. I wrote out four very distinct people. I even gave these people different names and they represented different demographics. One of them was a younger person who maybe in their late teens had gone through a lot of struggles as a kid. Maybe learning wasn't the cool thing on his block. Another person was in their early thirties who has kids, but doesn't really like their job trying to figure out what they need to do. The, the audience personas were super helpful because writing the book, I could always pull them out on a piece of paper and, and think, is this speaking to my audience? That was a long-winded answer, but I had to give the backstory for why I developed those audience personas. Yeah, it's nice to have a bit of that backstory. It's good to have someone who you're writing for. I really like that approach. The book is a seven-step framework to get stuff done. I won't ask you to give all your secrets, but what is your <laughs> favorite step? My favorite step has to be step one. It's chapter one. Chapter one is around this concept of understanding thyself. So when I did all my research from all these successful people, this theme kept coming up of that person is so self-aware and that's why they are successful. So then after realizing that this key word self-awareness is the common theme, I started to research what that actually meant. I actually found out that's not the proper term to be using when referring to successful people and how they understand themselves. The definition of self-awareness is to be able to look in the mirror and recognize who that person in the mirror is. Even a monkey or an animal that looks in the mirror and recognizes who they are in the mirror could be self-aware. So the, the term that we often try to use, but people just don't use it is self-concept. So self-concept is a psychological term. Essentially what it means is breaking apart who you are as an individual in different stages of your life. The four stages that I broke down is who is your past self? Who have you been throughout all of your time in this world? Who is your present self? Who is your future self? And holistically, who are you in general? What makes you tick? 
what inspires you what can you do all day all night and not get paid for it but still love what you do unless you understand at the core who you are why you are what you do why you do then you might be going in the wrong direction even if people didn't read past chapter one anything else that they do in their life would be amplified because of that exercise excellent point yeah i, I didn't realize i was using that wrong okay <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like the sociology coming out. Yeah. So studied management with a minor in sociology. How do those two fit together? <laughs> That's funny you ask, actually, because I, I started studying mechanical engineering when I went to UC Merced as a fresh 18-year-old high school grad. I quickly realized that I was only doing that because I wanted to make a lot of money and I wanted to make my parents proud. So when I was 18 years old, graduating from high school, looking to go to college, I Googled top 10 paying degrees. It was like becoming a doctor, becoming a lawyer, and then becoming an engineer. I, I hate anything having to do with hospital and blood. So I figured doctor probably wouldn't be my route. In terms of lawyer, I, I ruled that one out and I went the engineering route. After a semester, I, I realized that I was really unhappy. So I switched my college career and went down the business route. I took sociology and I found it to be fascinating. Just the study of people in groups, why people do things, getting really deep and understanding different cultures. I think it's essential for any business person or anybody who plans to market. It's important to understand why people are the way they are. It's helped me tremendously, even in terms of dissecting cultures and learning what's going to be a hit, whether that's DJing and reading a crowd or marketing a product like my book and understanding who my core audience is. It all comes back to people. The better you understand people, the better you're going to be at most things in life. Yeah, that's true. If you don't know what people are like, you don't know how to help them. It's a great idea. Thank you. And you really used it with your DJing. Was it a side gig or a full-time thing? <laughs> it was always a side gig. I've, I've DJed for a while now. I was about 18 years old when I started. I did it throughout college. I did it after that. While I started working at LinkedIn, at one point I was DJing a ton, three or four times a week, just as much as the other DJs that were in San Francisco DJing full time, even got to land a gig in Las Vegas for my birthday a few years ago, which is really big for me. And I went on a US tour as well. It was as much as a full time job, but I did it on the side in the nights and weekends somehow, sacrificed a lot of sleep. <laughs> Yeah, man. So your DJ name is DJ Ish with two DJ Hs. DJ Ish, yes. I had to get that SEO. That double H helped me a lot. I can imagine. That's a nice spelling. You are a prolific writer, so you had another article about this, of course. <laughs> with three marketing tips that you learned while DJing, I think my favorite one is network and uplift your peers. So could you explain how someone could do that? I'll actually explain it from my perspective and how I learned in the DJ world. When you're a DJ, whether you're spinning on a Friday night or spinning on a Tuesday night, there's a sense of respect and being a part of a bigger community that's not just you. Being able to provide support, whether that's in person and just showing up to somebody's gig or promoting an event or one of your friends who's also a DJ, I found that just a very simple concept to be translatable to everything else that I do. So being able to support other marketers and share my key learnings as a marketer at LinkedIn goes a long way for younger marketers or other marketers who might not have that experience working in diversity and inclusion, 
sharing thought leadership content and helping to uplift other people that are from diverse backgrounds or people who are diversity program managers and share key learnings that I've come across. It's just doing a greater good for more people. It always comes back to you. People respect it. People love it. People appreciate it. Once you do it long enough over time, you develop a brand of helping others and who doesn't want to be around people that help others. That's the truth. We mentioned before that you are in diversity and inclusion. We've heard those words before, but how does a job working with that function? Now more than ever, it's really important for companies to have dedicated people that work on diversity and inclusion efforts. So currently I'm a diversity specialist, as you mentioned, at SNAP here in LA. I work on how we attract and hire people from diverse backgrounds, but I also work on different programs within the company that help people feel more included. A couple of initiatives help our product, Snapchat, the app, reach diverse audiences as well. So a lot of people, when they hear diversity and inclusion, the first thing they think of is like hiring and how do we hire black and brown people to work at our, our company. Diversity and inclusion is a lot wider than that. How do you develop initiatives so that the people from those underrepresented backgrounds stay at your company? That's not hiring, that's retention. How do you work with the marketing team and the content team and the product team to ensure that if your company or product or service puts out content on a daily basis, that it's not offending people from diverse backgrounds, because as we know, most tech companies aren't as diverse as they should be. I'm, I'm happy to see that companies are putting their money where their mouth is and, and actually taking it more seriously. Yes, especially important to avoid those microaggressions where you might not have realized that mm -hmm. was a touchy issue. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back to the DJing because you were a night person and now yeah. you're a member of the 5am club. Oh man, you did your homework. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I loved your stuff. I was just binge reading all of it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, ask away. <laughs> I was thinking about joining. It's actually about almost 5.30am where I am now. This is the second interview I've done really early and it feels good. But what are the actual benefits of waking up this early yeah so first off for all of your listeners that are out there like 5 a.m that is bs what the heck i'll never wake up that early that was me literally my sleep schedule was so messed up <laughs> i worked a full-time job a social media marketing lead at linkedin djing three four nights a week for me to wake up at 5 a.m there was no way that would have happened but since i slowed down my djing a little bit partly because of covid and partly because i was working on a book I was able to make the switch reading, I think Robin Schwarma's book, the 5am club. I, I don't know. I was like, all right, let me see if I could at least try it out. I'm a, I'm a fan of pushing myself to the limit and trying new things. The first week was okay. The second week was more difficult because my body was finally trying to adjust to the time. The third week and fourth week, it just got easier and easier. It wasn't until a month or two, I started to see the, the real time benefits, this insane focus that I'd never felt before starting my day. So when I work out at 5 a.m., I shower, I eat. I actually start work around 8, but I, I get to my desk around 7, and I do either personal work or journaling. I, I get a lot of my great ideas around that time, too, just because my brain is fully on, my endorphins are pumping, my body feels great, I'm wide awake versus chugging a cup of coffee and then slumping over to the, the desk. Yeah. I've recently started getting up at 6.30, but I still didn't have enough time for that collective me time. So I think I'm going to try this. The, the trick is going to sleep earlier. That's all it is. It's difficult if you're a night owl, like I was, but then it's just 
a matter of making some small changes in your life to fit that. So if your goal is to sleep by 9.30 p.m. so that you can wake up by 5 a.m., then maybe that means laying down by 8 and showering by 7.30 because you know you're going to be laying there for two hours. you got to figure out what it is that's keeping you up at night because usually that's what it is that, that prevents you from waking up the following day. Yeah, for me, I have to have total darkness. Even one little light will just keep me awake. What else do you have to do to train yourself to actually get up? People may say, I'm going to get up at five, and then five comes to hit the snooze, and then they hit the snooze again, and it's 8.15, and they're thinking, what happened? Yeah. What do you do to make yourself get up? At the end of the day, you really can't make anybody do anything. You have to have the internal motivation to do it. From studying my book, the second chapter is about game changers. So it's habits, rituals, and routines. And how can you optimize different areas of your life so that these little tiny things that you do over time make huge impacts in your life? Waking up early can be one of them. Building great habits of sleeping is one of them. So back to your question, how can you make the habit of waking up early as easy and seamless as possible? I always set my gym clothes the night before on my couch. It's just a matter of making things easier. Sometimes... If you got to put yourself through a little bit of torture and throw your phone underneath the bed, put it on super loud so that the alarm makes you wake up and go underneath the bed to turn it off, then maybe that's not easier, but it, it makes it uncomfortable. That's another way to build a good habit is flip it on its head and make it uncomfortable so that it pushes you into the other direction. Nice strategies. Thank you for sharing those. Of course. Hopefully they're useful. <laughs> yeah, Definitely. Something else that might be useful, you worked at LinkedIn for five years, but I see a lot of people struggle with their profile. It's either very vague, not enough information, they don't have a picture, or their profile sounds like a copy and pasted resume. What can they do to give their profile a makeover? Well, the first thing, and you alluded to it there, is your LinkedIn profile is not your resume. There's a lot of other things things that you can put on the profile to spice it up a little bit, whether that's passion projects, interests, other things that you've done outside of your day job or framing it differently. So it doesn't sound so robotic, like you mentioned, if your resume is, what are all the highlights and the stats in your LinkedIn profile, maybe some of the most impactful stats, but then maybe it's more storytelling. So you can write a couple of sentences or a couple of paragraphs. What did you do in the role? How did you make an impact? Tell me about a project that you really did and dig deeper versus on a resume. You can't really tell a full story, you're stuck to a couple of bullet points, maybe. Another thing with LinkedIn is just have more fun with it. Share content, engage with content, fill out your profile in different aspects. Use your LinkedIn header as a fun way to give people insight into what you do. My header would be diversity specialist at Snap. That's the basic header. But instead, mine says diversity at Snap, DJ, Latino in tech, and author of Get Ish Done on Amazon. It gives insight into different aspects of who Ish Redusco is. I think being able to use different aspects of your profile to highlight who you are outside of just your nine to five gives people and recruiters and trying to connect with you a more personable vibe. Yeah, especially in the 21st century, we want to know who you are as a person, all of you. So you mm -hmm. have to bring it all to the table. Exactly. I've been poking mine. So now it says creating clever Latino pros who can think in English. <laughs> hey, I like that. Finally getting there. Going to your background a little bit, you are Chicano, Mexican-American, for those of you who don't know that term. Mm -hmm. And you grew up in Southern California with 
great support and a lot of wisdom from your family. I've loved what your Nina told you. Echale ganas en la vida. Could you yep. explain what that means to you? Yeah, of course. I come from a really hardworking family. My my mom, my dad, my grandparents, all my aunts and uncles. My grandparents actually from both sides migrated to the U.S. I don't know, it must have been like the 70s. They raised families on their own, each of them. My, my grandma from my dad's side had seven kids and worked multiple jobs and raised them all on her own. My grandma from my mom's side raised five kids as well, all on her own and made ends meet and worked hard her whole life. Ever since I was a kid, I listened to what my parents and my grandparents told me and whether it was these, these little sayings that I actually appreciated versus I feel like most kids, when you have your grandma or your mom tell you things like that, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, mom, whatever. Yeah, yeah, grandma, okay. But for some reason, I, I listened to a lot of what they told me. I'm, I'm grateful that I did because little things like that, like echale ganas means work hard. No matter what you do, put your mind to it, put your work ethic to it and get things done right. Do things the right way. Do things that you're passionate about. Do things that you love doing. It is possible to do what you want to do if you really put your heart and your mind to it. Those little sayings went a long way for me. It shows in, in a lot of work that I do, whether that's DJing, writing books, sharing content, mentoring, helping people any way that I can. Yeah, we're definitely glad you listen. You can share some of their tips with us. <laughs> of course. But having those three generations that all have different backgrounds, did you all speak English, Spanish, or Spanglish at home? My mom had me at a really young age. She was 19 um, and she had to go back to work a week or two right after she had me. So I was raised by, obviously by my parents, but my grandmothers from both sides of the family were instrumental in raising me as well. I, I learned English and Spanish at the same time. My parents spoke to me in English. And my grandparents spoke to me in Spanish because they don't speak English. Then I got to kindergarten and first grade and, and so forth. So then I had to really learn English. I've always been able to speak both. My Spanish isn't as great now as it used to be, but I guess that comes from five years living in San Francisco and not being able to speak it too much. <laughs> uh, but I'm working on it again. Yeah, it's good. I had the same thing where you learn them both at the same time and you're not sure which one did I learn first? Because it's so far back in your memory, you have no idea. As a kid, you get confused when you're writing it or when you're speaking it. Going back to me thinking I never was going to be a person who would write a book because I didn't even like reading books. I found it to be really difficult, like grammatically. I would say things in English, but it was in Spanish tense. Or I would write things in English, but it wouldn't really fully make sense. But it would make sense if you translated those words to Spanish. I didn't realize that till I got to college. And then I was like, why do I suck at writing my whole life? It was until somebody told me like, hey, did you learn Spanish when you were growing up too? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. You said this in your mind in Spanish, but you wrote it in English. That's why it doesn't really make sense. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So then... I started to focus more on the grammar and writing aspect of it in English. Yeah, a lot of my clients struggle with that. Even for me, I'm American, but I grew up speaking both. For a long time, idioms or expressions didn't make sense to me. I thought ends meet was actual meat. <laughs> me too. Hey, idioms. <laughs> I've like, worked in tech for six years and idioms don't make sense to me sometimes. I'm like, what? Can we just speak regular? What are you talking about? Especially once that you're just thinking, if I translate that literally, that makes no sense. If you tried to explain it to somebody, they would just look at you like you were crazy. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> and something else 
Hashtag bilingual problems. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you there. But how you feel being bilingual helps you in any facet of your life, really. It helps you in every aspect of your life. <laughs> Whether you're stuck on the street or you're trying to land a job or you're trying to relate to people from different cultures, it helps you tremendously. Being able to understand different cultures, that goes a long way. Being able to at least ask the right questions to help them open up and, and, and show them that you're learning or you're willing to learn and curious about the different cultures, that goes really far. Yeah, even people who speak the same language, they might ha not have the same culture. All Latinos are not the same. Even all Mexican-Americans are not the same either. And let's get a little bit more serious talking to the younger generation who might be listening to this. In a post recently, you mentioned, just like you had that struggle, many immigrant kids try to get traditionally successful jobs, doctor, lawyer, engineer, accountant, which there's nothing wrong with those, but if that's not your passion to be pushed, it's, it makes it very difficult. Mm -hmm. So how would you like to see that change in the future? The only way that it could change is with the younger generations themselves who are trying to pursue things that they're passionate about and not always what they're told. It's also the parents. It's like, Understanding that your kids may not be interested in becoming a doctor, a lawyer, engineer, and that's okay. They can still do fine in life financially and just emotionally. If, if you're told since you're a kid that you got to become a doctor and you're not told why, you're just told because it's the right thing to do or because you're going to be able to afford things. And then you end up being a doctor, but you, you never wanted to do it, but you find yourself unhappy. I know people that have gone through depression because of that. And then they flip their careers entirely, do something that they're passionate about. And then they finally find themselves happy. The only way to solve it is to recognize it. And for the parents to encourage their kids when they're younger to find what interests them and support those interests however they can. But also encourage younger generations, kids themselves to learn about different things. If I have younger cousins or eventually when I have kids, being able to spot their interests, even when they don't notice it themselves. Personally, looking back at my life, I was always interested in selling, branding, and marketing things. When I was 11 years old, I used to watch commercials on TV and I used to be like, who the heck is paying for this? This is so dumb. I wish I would, would have done something cool. I think back to when I was nine years old, I would cut up fruit when I was at my grandma's house and sell it on the corner and try to figure out what corner was the best one to set up shop depending on the foot traffic. If I'm a parent seeing that, that's a business person. That's a sales and marketing person. That's an entrepreneur at their core. That sounds like my sister. She's been selling slime since she could read. <laughs> She's a hustler. She's a hustler for sure. She would actually bring it to school, be playing with it in front of people, and they'd ask, where did you get that? She's like, oh, I made it. Do you want one? And then you just get people to buy it from her. Yep, buy <laughs> I take Venmo too. <laughs> yeah, if she had Venmo, I think it would have had a heart attack, but she got a lot of money from making that slime. Hi, Francesca. <laughs> <laughs> Going into the less traditional jobs, we're used to hearing R&D, research and development, a lot, but there's this new acronym that I've been hearing, L&D, 
Could you explain what that is all about? A lot of companies nowadays have a department that's dedicated to learning and development, Snap included, also LinkedIn as well. This is basically an organization at companies that is dedicated to helping the employees learn and grow and progress in their careers or in their profession. So whether that's different bosses at a company taking online courses and in-person trainings about how to become a better boss and how to become a better mentor and training their employees, or whether that's people taking LinkedIn learning courses to become a better marketer. It's just this idea of always be learning, always be growing, always be refining your tools. There's always room to grow. Learning and development is like, how do we invest in the people that create the products? Very nice. What would you say to teenagers who are trying to find their way during all of this craziness that's going on? It's a blessing in disguise. Because COVID is happening to the world and we're experiencing a pandemic, now all of a sudden, a lot of people have a boost in time and energy. You're not spending Friday nights and Saturday nights going out. You have more time to invest in yourself. Speaking to younger generations, whether that's people in their teens or even early 20s, how can you use all of this time that you have now to work on your craft or to learn about different things that you might be interested in, but never found the time to learn about them? So if that's me at 17 years old, thinking about how to become a marketer, how can I use LinkedIn to find people that are marketers and set up calls with them, whether that's Zoom calls or just back and forth email? How do, can I take online courses for free, whether that's on YouTube or LinkedIn Learning? I know they're offering a bunch of free courses around marketing. How can I start a project around marketing and start up an Instagram page or work with small businesses and tell them that I'll do their social media marketing for free if I can put that on my resume? Now we have all this time, people can use it a little bit more to, to work on their craft and something that could potentially be a long-term career play or hustle. It's true. The internet gives you a lot more opportunities than we had 15 years ago. Thank you so much for your time, everybody. You can get How Successful People Get Ish Done on Amazon. It's very affordable, only $10 for the Kindle version and about $18 for the paperback for those of you who like to write on things and smell that ink. So don't worry, I'll put a link in the description box. But Ish, again, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. I hope the people that are listening here learn something. You guys can find me on Instagram at Ish Verdusco. I share a lot of behind the scenes content, whether that's the process of creating the book, my work at Snap, my productivity hacks and tips and all that. So connect and uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This was fun. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite listening app to hear other episodes. For more info about our courses, editing services, or our scholarship program, look at our website, cleverhybrids.com. You can also find the transcripts and show notes for our episodes there. This is Gabby V. Until next time, learn by doing and asking.